Lord be with you. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Founded it on the seas, established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in its holy place? The one who has clear hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Receive blessings from the Lord God, our Savior. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the peace of Oh, 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the Father, filled with mercy and steadfast love, it's embarrassing to come before you. We have preferred the ways of this world to your ways. We have rebelled against your wisdom. We have rejected your fatherly guidance and have gotten lost altogether. Hear us when we pour out our sorrows before you. Forgive us, not on the ground of our own on the ground of your mercy. You offer us grace in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Friends, take a moment in a silent confession. He himself bore our sins in his body on that cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Thanks be to God. It's now time for our morning offerings. Thankful, Lord, for your gifts to us. We pray that what we offer to you in return will be pleasing in your sight. Use these gifts that you have given to bless your church here in this place and this world that you have made and help us not just to give monetary gifts but to give ourselves and our lives for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones who came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on Him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live Friends, if you can rise and join us in these last two verses. ground his body lay light of the world when darkness lay then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again then as he stands in victory since curse and lost its grip on me, for he am his and he is mine, barred with the precious blood of in life, no fear in death, here is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pray. I stand, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand.
Friends, the peace of Christ is with you. And also with you. Take a moment to just pass the peace with your neighbors. Can I have all the Kid Street kids come up here for dismissal? People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. The Lord be with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. My name is Brett Buma. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and it's my uh, privilege this morning to uh, lead us in prayer. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come into your house this morning to worship you. We give you thanks and praise, the Lord, for who you are and what have you done. Uh, this week, as man has been able to see even more of your creation through the technology of a new telescope, we marvel even more at your handiwork, Lord. The vastness of the universe is beyond our comprehension. Yet what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Our world is but a speck in the universe, yet you know each of us by name. Not a hair can fall from our head without it being your will. We know that our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We pray that we can be still and know that you are God. We thank you that we can come to you in prayer, Lord. And we, we thank you that our town, Northbridge, was able to celebrate 250 years yesterday. And thank you for blessing our town in so many ways. And we are thankful that our church can be, uh, has been part of this community for 125 years. And we pray that you will bless our town leaders and the decisions they make, and bless the police officers, firefighters, EMT, who provide safety for us. We pray that you will protect them in their work. Faithful God, we pray that you will bless our church, bless the work of Pastor Matthew as he ministers to our church family, continue to protect him and his family as they're on vacation, and we pray that he'll be refreshed and prepared for the work ahead when he returns. Lord, we pray that you will bless Kate, as she leads our children's ministries, especially be with her this coming week as she leads Vacation Bible School. And we pray that you'll be with the volunteers who are serving with her. Um, and we pray that you'll touch the lives of the little, little ones that they'll be ministering to this week and that they will know you. Lord, we ask that you'll bless Sadie as she manages the administration and finances of her church, grant her wisdom and patience and joy in the, in the work that she does. And we pray that you will continue to be with Steve as he leads the worship team uh, and bless him as he prepares each week for, for Sunday. Lord, we continue, uh, or we ask you, you will bless and equip, equip the many volunteers and members here at Pleasant Street as they seek to bring forth your kingdom in our part of the world. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray a blessing for those in our church who are struggling with health issues. We thank you that Audrey had successful hip surgery this past week, and we pray that she'll have a quick recovery and the patience to 
um, let herself heal. We pray that Deb V will continue to recover from her surgery. We ask you to be with Kathy B, who is experiencing back pain. We pr pray that she will uh, have relief from this. We thank you that and pray that you will bring healing to Karen S, who finished another round of chemo and radiation, and we pray for guidance for the next steps of her treatment. We rejoice with John and Kirsty, who will be celebrating 43 years of marriage this week, and with Howard and Marlene, who celebrated 40 years of marriage last week. We thank you for this, Lord. We pray for Kirsty M's aunt and uncle, who are missionaries in Manila, Philippines. Especially pray for Carol, who took a fall and is in the hospital and is in a brace and having complications. We ask that you restore her to health so that she can return to her family and the work that you've called her to. Uh, we also pray this morning for uh, Jack Crawford, who had um, an illness. We're not sure of all the details at the moment, but we, uh, we pray that you will be with him at this time. We pray that you'll be with all of those who are struggling with illnesses and pain or depression, anxiety, grief, loneliness at this time, Lord. Uh, bless and strengthen them and grant them uh, your peace that surpasses all understanding. Remember those in our congregation who are not able to worship with us here today, and to those who are shut in. Give them a blessing on this day, and we pray that we will uh, remember them. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and for the salvation that we have through his sacrifice. Help us to live our lives in the knowledge of what you have done for us. We pray that you will equip us for what we need and help us to be salt and light in your world. Help us to trust you with all our heart and and not lean on our own understanding. Lord, we pray that you'll be with Pastor Dan Voss as he brings your word to us this morning. Give him the words to speak and us the, the ears and hearts to receive. May your spirit be upon us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, Pastor Dan Voss will be leading us in two passages this morning. The first is Psalm 39, which if you'd like to follow along can be found on page 451 in your pew Bibles. And the second passage is Luke 15, verses 11 through 24, which can be found on page 849. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. But my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. 
Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a breath. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me, that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. And again, Luke 15 on page 849, the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. Feels like it's been a while. It's good to be back with you again. And I suppose if you're wondering, you know, what's up with me, you can catch me after the service and I'll give you the full update, all of that. Okay. Um, as we begin, I want you to set aside the parable of the prodigal son, which is very familiar territory for us, and turn back to Psalm 39, which is perhaps less familiar territory. As John Kelvin opens his commentary on the Psalms, he says that this book, the Psalms, are an anatomy of all the parts of the soul, which lays bare all the feelings and emotions that we might have. For Calvin, this means that the Psalms expose us. They expose our sinfulness, our hypocrisy. They lay open our need for grace. And the anatomy image is of, well, this is how you learned to be a doctor in those days, by dissecting cadavers. And you can find what's wrong in a person as you dig in. Calvin wants us to think of the Psalms as that, a diagnostic tool that opens us up before God 
and shows who we are, what we are, in the presence of God. Now, more recent commentators have suggested that this anatomy of every part of the soul is not just a negative thing, but it also says that every part of who we are can be brought into the presence of God. Because it's not just our sinfulness that is on display, but our hopes, our fears, our love for God, our need for grace. All of these things are present And all of these things we may bring into the presence of God. And I think that's a good way to start as we think about Psalm 39, which does not sound like a psalm ought to sound. At least if we've grown up with the psalms in church, in our own devotional reading, in our lives, this is not the most typical psalm. As we read it, it probably sounded just a little bit off. And it's supposed to. Because this is a psalm where things are not right. And as it speaks, it doesn't speak in the ways that are proper. It takes things that are typical and it turns them just a little bit. And so there's an edge here, intentionally. Psalm 39 is often described as a lament. If you go to the commentaries, that's what they say it is. A lament is a prayer that's based in suffering. And it seeks God's intervention. The most basic laments are asking God to heal and restore. And will bring typically one or more of three problems into the presence of God. A problem with myself that I am suffering. Perhaps an illness. A problem with enemies who will either rejoice when I fall or who are threatening And some of the Psalms have a problem with God and say that God's indifference, God's distance is causing a problem. If God would come and rescue, then things would be right again. That's your more typical lament. And a Psalm like Psalm 13 mentions all three of these. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will my enemies triumph over me? And then saying, look on me, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And the psalm says, if you, God, will intervene, then things will be right. The other thing about a typical lament is that a typical lament often says that I'm one of yours, God. I'm one of your people. And because I belong to you, you should hear and answer. We have a covenant relationship. Now, Psalm 39 does some of these things. It's talking to God. It is complaining to God. It's complaining about God. We'll get to that a little more. It's also talking about suffering. And it doesn't say exactly what's wrong, but the speaker says, let me know how long this is going to be. In verse 5, and it's either how long am I going to be suffering or how long is my life? Because it feels like it's coming to an end.
But this psalm doesn't end like a typical lament. A typical lament looks forward to restoration and says, when that comes, then I will sing. I will fulfill my vows. I will praise you. Psalm 39 has none of that at the end. It does not end looking forward in hope. It ends looking forward to darkness. In addition to that wrong ending, there is the matter of the psalm's target. Rather than saying that the problem is that God is not paying attention, the psalm says God is paying too much attention. You have made my days a few handbreadths. You have done it. You must remove your plagues from me. I am worn out by the blows of your hand. The psalm is an accusation. And it says that God is not being God. God is not doing what God is supposed to do. And so, although verbal tenses are tricky in Hebrew poetry, I'm inclined to read verse 7, which seems like the most hopeful part of the psalm, as past tense. What have I looked for? What have I hoped for? It was you, but now I'm not so sure. Rather than speaking in the voice of one of God's faithful followers, instead we hear disillusionment. We hear that things are wrong. And the last word of the psalm is perhaps its most troublesome feature. It sounds like Job, or maybe Job sounds like Psalm 39. In Job chapter 10, Job tells God to back off so that he can have a little bit of comfort, a little bit of room to breathe before he dies. And it makes sense in the book of Job. He feels crushed. He literally has been. And he can't figure out why. All he sees is his suffering, and all he knows is that it shouldn't be this way. And his friends keep telling him that he needs to get right with God, and he's like, but there's nothing to fix. I didn't do anything wrong. And so Job comes to the conclusion that he needs a face-to-face confrontation with God, that God's not going to do that for him. And so at the end of chapter 10, as he reflects on this, Job says, then what I really want is space and distance. Give me room to breathe. Let me die in peace. And that's where Psalm 39 ends as well. It's a request that comes with a sense of alienation. In fact, the speaker says, I'm an alien and a stranger. An alien and a stranger. It's a phrase that occurs a few times in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. It's language that Abraham uses in Genesis 23 when he's negotiating for the right to buy a burial plot for Sarah. You see, Abraham says, I'm not from around here. And as an alien and stranger, he doesn't have the right to buy land from the people who are from around there. He mayn't own it permanently. That's something citizens may do. He's not one of them. 
And so he does an elaborate negotiation, and they go back and forth, and Abraham probably pays more than the plot is worth in order to have the right to have this be his. If you're an alien and a stranger, you can't do that. An alien and a stranger does not have rights. Which is why when we get to Deuteronomy, this alien, this resident alien, is someone who needs to be protected. Because like the orphans and the widows, otherwise their status is at risk. Psalm 39 is speaking as an alien and a stranger. The speaker says, that's who I am with respect to you, God. And if in a typical lament you say, I'm one of yours, and that's why you need to rescue me. Psalm 39 is very different in saying, I'm not being treated like one of yours. And so the psalm says, just stay away. Enough. I can't handle any more of your attention. What do we do with the psalm that presents God with a restraining order rather than a plea for help? Because that's how the psalm ends. Essentially saying, if you're going to treat me like a foreigner, then at least keep your distance. But as long as you get in my face, you will see things that you don't like. And as long as you see things that you don't like, I'm going to suffer for them. For the speaker is also for Job. God's nearness has become a problem. Divine holiness and human imperfection make for a deadly combination. And so the psalm offers what sounds to us like the wrong solution. God needs to give space. Rather than protection. God needs to not act like the great IRS agent in the sky. So this is where thinking of the Psalms as an anatomy of every part of the soul is helpful. For here in this Psalm, we have something that perhaps we have thought, perhaps we have felt. We have the voice of frustrated faith, of hope that doesn't seem to be realized right now, and of uncertainty about the promises of God that we've grown up hearing. This is the voice of any one of us who has ever felt that nothing we do is good enough for God. This is any of us who have felt relentlessly pursued by God with the result that we have gotten worse than if God weren't paying attention. And there is room, at least a little, for that feeling in the life of faith. There is no reason that we cannot voice our fears and struggles. The push and pull of faith shouldn't be a problem for us because as long as we are human, no relationship that we have is going to be perfectly as it ought to be. As long as this world is an imperfect place, as long as we are imperfect people, and as long as God is sovereign over the mess that we live in, there will be times when we don't understand how his sovereign control matches up with what's wrong with us. 
Psalm 39 gives voice to that. But Psalm 39 also isn't where we want to end up. There may be space for this in the life of faith, but it's not a comfortable place to live in in the long term. So now I want us to think about the prodigal son. Notice just a couple things about the parable. First, notice the distance. The younger son gets exactly what he thinks he wants from his father. And it sure looks like he tries to get as far away from God as he can. What Psalm 39 had ended up with, look away from me, give me distance, give me space, is exactly what the younger son tries to create in our parable. And then that younger son discovers that this distance is actually a problem. Because being far away from home has cut him off from support. And to his surprise, to his chagrin, he discovers that he cannot actually live so far away from his father. And then, second, notice of our younger son, the decision. The younger son decides to ask for a status that is less than he had previously possessed. He seeks to be a hired hand. This, I would suggest, is rather like being an alien and stranger in Psalm 39. The hired hand has no right to the estate. Just as an alien and stranger is not a citizen and does not have the rights of a citizen in the land. The decision by the younger son is to make this relationship a transactional one. I'll work. You'll pay me. It will be a very rational relationship based on what we do and how we perform things. And I put in the time, I draw my pay. Now, for the younger son, this represents an improvement over the way things are. But it is still way less than belonging, way less than being a son. The speaker in Psalm 39 is also suggesting that this other status, the status of an alien and stranger, is an improvement over the way things are right now. It's also way less than belonging. And then, as the story continues, we have the unexpected, that the younger son gets better than he deserves, which is exactly where the parable has always rankled a certain segment of its readers. The younger son deserves nothing. He knows it. His older brother knows it. His father knows it. We know it. The negotiated solution of make me like one of your hired hands, that has perhaps always made sense to some of us. Yeah, you screwed up. You lost your first and best chance. 
And you're not owed anything. But the son gets better than he deserves because he's welcomed back into the family. He's treated with grace and compassion. And though, although I left off reading the older brother's complaint, we know it. He says precisely, well, that's not fair. That he should get better than he deserves. But this is where I want us to end up this morning. We don't have the answer to this wrong prayer in Psalm 39. We don't have a conclusion. The book of Job does. And Job sees God face to face. And it is in that conversation that Job learns that he is in fact valued. And although Job doesn't get all of the answers for why his suffering took place, he gets the assurance that God is not indifferent to who he is. The parable of the prodigal son reinforces that. We have a God who does not treat us as aliens and strangers, but who treats us as his children. And that the goal of God is to have restored relationships to have things be right and the way they ought to be. Now that doesn't mean that the suffering that the speaker of Psalm 39 experienced wasn't real. It doesn't mean that every moment is good. We can and do and will have frustrated times of faith. The world is less than we want it to be. We are less than we want to be. And from where we stand, it will look like God could do something other than he has chosen to do and make things better than we experience them. That's going to happen. But the reason to wrestle with God, to argue with him, to be frustrated with him, is that neither he nor we want us to end up as aliens and strangers. We have a God who, rather than giving us distance, rather than backing off, we have a God who gives grace. A God whose deepest desire is to say, welcome home, my child. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning from different places. Some of us may in fact be suffering and wondering why you are doing to us the things that you are doing because we see in part and do not understand, cannot understand all that goes on. We pray that you would assure us of your grace and that we would recognize and see your goodness to us so that our deepest fears and greatest frustrations are answered by your love and reassurance. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now time for our echo. So our students, uh, ages, grades, I'm sorry, grades three through five are invited to come up and to be dismissed for a time of reflection. And people of God, what is our prayer? Thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard and to deepen our hearts and live in ways to honor you above all. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. I invite you all to rise as we continue with our worship. Still my soul will sing your praise 
our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. We say together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, people of God, hear his blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. your faithfulness, O God. You wrestle with this sinner's restless heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. And nothing can keep us apart. Remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, O oh God. Your grace is enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough.
Your grace is enough for 